Today's Bible's reading is from Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a two. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in referee. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen this people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hand. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God, The writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, There is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, It is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of saying that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, 
Whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Moses saw that the people were running wild, and that Aaron had let them get out of control, and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, "Whoever is for the Lord, come to me." And all the Levites relied to him. Then he said to them, "This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says: Each man strike a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor." The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about three thousand of the people died. Then Moses said, "You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and has, and He has blessed you this day." The next day, Moses said to the people, "You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin." So Moses went back to the Lord and said, "Oh, what a great sin these people have committed! They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written." The Lord replied to Moses, "Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you." However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. This is the word of God. Amen. Thanks, Maria.、Um, we're continuing our series、um, through Exodus. So, if you can have your Bibles open to chapter thirty-two, and let's God, let's pray that God will speak to us through these words. Lord, we thank you for these words. We thank you that they're recorded for us, so that we may learn from them. We pray now that you would give us、uh, not just listening minds, but open hearts, where your word will be planted、um, and sown into fertile soil that may bear fruit. In Jesus' name, Amen. So after Mary and I got married two and a half years ago, we went to our honeymoon, and then there we got into the first night. We got into、uh, our first fight.、Um, I had forgotten to bring a jacket、um, to New Zealand, and it was cold in New Zealand, and so I just wanted a jacket to buy any jacket. And Mary wanted to go and find the best jacket possible that would, you know, last for a long time and those things. And I just. I snapped, and I just, I just want a jacket. I was so cold. It wasn't my finest moment.、Um, Mary forgave me, and we're still here. Uh, but in this story, this is the context, isn't it? This is the honeymoon period between God and God's people.、Uh, but it's not one of their finest moments. In fact. The adoration of the golden calf is known to be one of the lowest moments—a moment of a terrible rebellion. Just a few weeks back, if you think about it, everyone agreed on the covenant. The leaders ate the fellowship meal with God, 
And then Moses went back up to Mount Sinai to receive the rest of the law, instructions about the tabernacle and the priesthood and the furniture. And it was while Moses is receiving God's instructions, these people turned to the worship of an idol, a spiritual equivalent of adultery. Their request in verse 1 seems so brazen. Come, make us gods who will go before us. Aaron quickly gives in. He takes people's gold and makes a golden calf, a young bull. It's a symbol of power and fertility. And he knew what to make because he knew what the Egyptians worshipped, a god called Apis, which is what this is. It all seems really ridiculous to us, doesn't it? But it is a bit more complicated than that. Remember, Moses is a way, and Moses was the, the way of meeting God for them. Without him, they weren't sure how to approach God. Without him, they weren't sure if God was with them. An image of God, they thought, could represent God for them, something that they could point to and say, actually, God is with us. Yahweh is with us. They were asking for something like probably a temple, a visible representation of God's presence with them. And that's made clear because after they forged this bull, look what they say in verse 4. They say, this is your God, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And verse 5, Aaron adds that they will have a festival to, not to Apis, to another God, but Yahweh, to the Lord. You see, it's not the first commandment that they're breaking. You shall have no other gods before me, but they were breaking the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an image in form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. Israelites wanted an image of God, an idol of Yahweh God. They wanted something that's there immediately, readily for them, tangible for them, because God seemed far away. Now Moses was missing for six weeks. Like the Israelites, rather than breaking, I think, the first command of worshiping the other gods, often I think it is the second commandment, making the image of God that we break. We say we worship Yahweh God. But actually, we worship, what we actually worship is an image that we've created in our hearts, something that is not God. But of course, breaking the second commandment doesn't have to involve uh, making a golden shrine. We can do this in our hearts. We can reduce God to certain images in our hearts and worship that and call that Yahweh God. So, it's worth asking, when you picture God, how do you picture God? Who is God to you? Is God someone who will give you money, power, and love? You know, I think this is why people worship these things, because God seems so far away. Because um, God seems so far away, and we want something that's more tangible. Money is tangible. A spouse is tangible. Uh, a power has immediate results. So instead of the real God... We worship these other things. God is shaped into image of these things that are much more immediate to us. The image of God in our hearts might be much more like the idols of the world. Our hearts are an idol factory, isn't it? We create images of God in all sorts of different ways. Once again, who is God to you? Is God someone who sort of unconditionally loves you, but never punishes, never disciplines? Is God somebody who's supposed to give you popularity? Somebody who helps you during tough times? 
God, somebody who's there to get your children into the right schools, marry the right spouse, get the right job, and have them a good, solid, middle-class life. You see, we reduce God into these images because we want to control God. We want to get things from him. We want God who will do things for us, not a God that we lay down our lives and worship. We don't want to worship the living God, but use him to get what we want. Isn't that the reason why the Israelites wanted this image in the first place? If you look at verse 1, listen to what they say. Come, make us a God who will go before us. They want a God that they could take around with them, one that they could control, one that they would give them blessing when they want it. And even as we say, we worship Yahweh in the church, the one true God, we might have an entirely different image of God than the one that God had revealed in his word. You know, our pictures of God contain something of him, but God is bigger than all of that. And God of the Bible is loving, but he's also holy. God of the Revelation says to us that we actually, we ask for all these things, but we sometimes don't even know what we should be asking, that we're asking for the wrong things. God of the Bible heals, but then God, he also says the biggest problem is not our sickness, but it's sin and judgment that is coming in this world. God of the Bible helps us in our tough times, but also says that he will also bring tough times sometimes to us, to discipline us, to purify us. God of the Bible says even if he explained how he ruled the world, we won't understand. We won't understand his mind because he's bigger than us. God of the scripture is not a genie, but one who asks us to give our lives for him, to serve him, and to live for him. Yahweh God is king of kings and lord of lords. We constantly put this God into these little boxes, our images of him, to get things from him, but doing that is a tragedy because worshiping an idol is worshiping a God who is no God at all. Who do you worship? What is the image of God that is in your heart? Is it the God of the Bible, God of the scripture? Is it God, something that you've invented in your heart? Second commandment is something that we can easily start breaking without even realizing. But it is absolutely serious. If you look at the Ten Commandments, other than the Sabbath law, the Sabbath law is the biggest one. Uh, It's the second longest of the Ten Commandments. It seems to me the most serious He says it has the most serious tone out of them all. We're told not to make images of him, but also, God adds, don't bow down to them and worship them, for I, the Lord, am your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children children for the sin of the parents to, to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. But look at what the Israelites are doing in verse 6. They burnt sacrifices and ate fellowship offerings to this idol. And we're told that they sat down to eat and drink and got, uh, got up to in, indulge in revelry. Uh, commentators tell me that that word translated into revelry often has this sexual uh, debauchery involved. It's not the simple fact, once again, that they're doing these things that are astonishing. It's the context in which they're doing it that makes it so bad. And once again, God had delivered them out of slavery 400 years 
right? Um, he brought them, he brought judgment upon the Egyptians and rescued the Israelites with his mighty hand. He parted the Red Sea. Um, he, he, he led them by pillars of cloud by day and fire by night. He fed them quail and manna, quenched their thirst in the middle of the desert. He made a covenant with them and they celebrated and they said, yes, we will obey. He gave them the law and the leaders of Israel ate with them. Once again, it was their honeymoon, but they're committing the spiritual act of adultery. So it's understandable, I hope, how God reacts. Look at verse 10. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them that I may destroy them. Then I'll make you into a great nation. He wants to destroy them. He wants to start over with Moses. And so Moses initially pleads in, in the next verses, verses 11 to 13, and God relents. But, um, and by the way, I think it's a fair question if you're asking, why does God look like a powerful, a fickle child? I, I don't think God is like that. But I do think that the story is recorded in this way to reveal to us uh, who God is and who Moses is. I mean, if God were really fickle, right, God would have just destroyed them without doing anything, without, conf- uh, without telling, conferring with Moses, but he does. It's almost as if God's saying this to Moses so that Moses could intercede on their behalf. God reveals this to Moses so that he could be merciful towards them, so that Moses could intercede on their behalf. God tells because he's merciful. And God wants Moses to step into that role of being the mediator, to being the intercessor. So Moses initially intercedes, right? He makes a strong argument of why, why God shouldn't destroy the Israelites. But look at how he reacts when he comes down from the mountain and actually sees what's going on in verse 19. His anger is described in the same way that God's anger was. His anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. And then he takes that bull, that, that, that golden calf, uh, burns it, and puts the ashes into their water source. That they, are, they, they drink it. They have to drink it. And then he takes a drastic action. It was as if he wants to remove this cancerous tumor that could spread to the rest of the body of Israel. Moses knew that idolatrous people, as long as idolatrous people were in, within the camp, that Israel was never going to be safe. So he orders Levites to go and kill these, uh, these people. It may at first seem like indiscriminate killing, indiscriminate killing, but it's more likely that he ordered the idol, uh, the idolatrous people who uh, took um, active, who actively participated in this idol worship to be killed. 3,000 people were killed. That sin was so serious that Moses thinks, actually, this may not have been enough. Look at what he does afterwards in verse 31. He goes up to God again in verse 31 so that he could plead for them yet again. For the rest of Israel, who, though indirectly, still participated in this idol worship. We don't know how many people were killed, but then God promises God sends them uh, God struck them with a plague I don't know about you but if you're if you sound if you are feeling uncomfortable with how harsh 
this is. You're, I think, in good company because I, it just seems really harsh. It seems really terrible that 3,000 people were killed and unnumbered people were killed with the plague. But I wonder if that's because we just don't take God's holiness seriously. Because we take our sins lightly. We make light of these sins. But in these chapters, you've heard how actually they needed to, even, even the, the temple and the furniture and all that's there, they needed to uh, construct them meticulously, uh, uh, obeying every single rule at the point, at the pain of death. If they constructed this temple badly, God's holiness would kill them, right? It was, God's holiness is that serious. And idolatry is much more serious than that. It is serious back then, and it is actually serious now. Think about what, the, what breaking the second commandment means for us as Christians. It means that God has revealed himself throughout the creation, through the history of Israel, through these words in the Bible. And then God revealed himself definitely through Christ. And he taught and he, he, he lived and he died and he rose again he, to tell us that he is holy, to tell us that he loves us. He then sent the Holy Spirit and spoke through the apostles and the prophets so that we could come to know him and worship him only. Breaking the second commandment in this context means that actually we're saying we don't care. We don't care about that God. We want to just continue to worship the God that's in my heart. I don't want a relationship with him. I just want things from him. The punishment seems harsh, but if this is the punishment, maybe it's just that the crime is so terrible as we consider what's in our hearts, I just ask, how seriously do you take your sins, your idolatry, idolatry of your hearts? And we can see how seriously Moses and God took idolatry. It makes sense, especially here, since what was at stake was really at the, it was, what was at stake was the salvation of the whole world. The covenant made with Abraham, the plan to bless people of all the earth through him, was at stake. But God thought that this was so big that it disqualified them from covenant. And look at what God calls Israelites in verse 7. Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. You know, back uh, in, in Exodus, God called Israel my firstborn, my treasured possession. And now he says, your God, whom you delivered out of Egypt. Look how Moses intercedes on their behalf. They would have been wiped out if it were not for, for Moses. Moses intercedes, but he, doesn't, he says nothing about how good the people are. Moses appeals to God's glory. He reminds God that this is his people. These are his people. Lord, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt? Verse 11. Moses then argues that God's glory would be diminished if God wiped them out. Verse 12. 
Why should Egyptians say it was evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Your enemies will make fun of you, he says. And most importantly, he then reminds God of the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the result is in verse 14, God relents. Then the Lord relented and did not bring his people the disaster he had threatened. And after he orders the idolaters to be killed, Moses went up to God again to uh, uh, make atonement. His prayer in verse 32 is very telling. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. He doesn't quite say, wipe me out instead of them. But he sa- it's close. Right? He says he wants to stop God from wiping them out by offering him as well. If you're going to wipe them out, wipe me out of your book as well. And the result is that the plan of salvation continues. Instead of Israelites perishing in the desert, God's chosen people is, are ordered to go forward to the promised land. Verse 34. Now go and lead your people to the place I spoke of and my angel will go before you. Once again, It's not God being fickle here. I think it's God had planned all of this to reveal his mercy, to reveal the seriousness seriousness of our idols and uh, the the seriousness of idolatry uh, and the terrible consequences. But Moses was able to mediate for us. He was able to mediate for us because he was close to God. He was there with God. He intercedes on, on, on people's behalf. He's associated with God and he identifies with God and also with the people. But of course, Moses wasn't God. His relationship with God is still one of uh, a creation relating to his creator. And yet, God listened to Moses. God listened to the mediator, to the prayers And we've talked about how terrible sin of idolatry is. But why is it that we don't daily worry about these things? Why is it that we don't plead day and night that God would spare us? Well, it's because of Christ, our great, greater mediator. He wasn't just closely identified with God. He was God himself, having this intimate fellowship with him. And he's one of us, human beings also. Though he did not sin, he can empathize with our sins because he was tempted in every way. He is also, not only that, he is the mediator who can say, I have paid for their sins. There might be people here who are not yet Christian and don't know the danger that you are in. And for many of us, Um, We don't outright worship idols, but many of us have fallen into subtler forms of idolatry, worshiping an image that we've created ourselves. Friends, I hope you will consider our idols, idols in our hearts. Two and a half years ago, once again, when we got married, um, we went to New Zealand and um, I know for sure, for a fact, that Mary thought that first day, who did I marry? I wonder if I made a mistake. (laughs) 
<laughs> We're married to Christ. Who we married is Christ, the great mediator. And look to Christ. And if you look to Christ, that's who you will worship. You will know that there is no other God like him. There is no other need, no need other than him. Look to Christ and worship him only. Let's pray. Lord, our hearts are an idol factory. Lord, we invent ways of worshiping other things than you. Would you set our eyes on your greatness, your holiness, your justice, your mercy, your beauty, and help us to worship you and you only. In Jesus' name, amen.